What's up, guys? You're listening to a brand new episode of Listen to Me Speak. We are on season two, episode 12. And as I always say, thank you guys so much for listening to last week's episode, for sharing it on your social medias. I always appreciate it. And let's just get right into this episode. So, of course, you know I have to start off the episode by talking about the Snyder Cut version of the Justice League movie. So I'm going to be honest, I didn't remember much of the 2017 version, the one that Joss Whedon had directed, but I think a part of that is, I think a part of the reason for that is because I was so disappointed with the 2017 version of the Justice League movie that I kind of just, I don't know, suppressed it, put it out of my mind. I couldn't tell you a single thing that happened in the 2017 version. So watching the Snyder Cut was like watching the movie for the first time, essentially. Like I watched the movie with my dad and he he remembers the movie more than I do because he's seen it more times than I have. I only saw it the one time in the movie theater. So I guess that's also a big reason why I don't remember much. So he was kind of, as we were watching the movie, he was kind of like, oh, this, this part was in the movie. Like I remembered a couple of scenes here and there, but I was really relying on him to be like, oh yeah, this, was in the movie this is this is something new this is additional footage um so I really can't get behind this mic and and compare the two for you guys because I really don't remember anything that happened um I will say though that Snyder's Cut was definitely a more fleshed out story and gave Cyborg, The Flash, and Aquaman more um detailed backgrounds and even outside of the characters even some of the storylines had more details, like we knew a whole lot more about the mother boxes. Um, And I think that also, for me as the viewer, it allowed me to be more interested in the movie and the storylines because I knew more of the background on the mother boxes. Once you explain their origins and what goes wrong when when the three boxes are united together, then the audience will be like, okay, we should care about this. And now we're more invested because we don't want the villains to end up winning we don't want the three boxes to be united because now we see what happens when they are um so that was a step up from the 2017 version of the movie because I just was not interested in the plot at all so I guess mainly what you can say what I can say is the 2017 version of Justice League went wrong in many ways but the the main ways it went wrong is that it lacked details they didn't give enough background on the characters that we weren't familiar with So it caused me personally not to care about Aquaman or Cyborg because, or, you know, for me, I'm already invested in the Flash because the Flash is my favorite DC character. But if I wasn't a fan of the Flash, I wouldn't have been interested in him either. They pretty much treated Cyborg, Aquaman, and the Flash like side characters in the 2017 version. And in this, um, in the Snyder Cut, they played a more vital role in the Justice League movie. So now it caused me to be interested in, in a cyborg movie and who knows if they're even going to do that in light of the controversy that's been going on with Ray Fisher and um, Joss Whedon and stuff like that but it caused me to have more interest in cyborg because he played a bigger role in the Snyder Cut you know whereas in the 2017 version of the Justice League movie he had a very minimal role he was pretty much like the sidekick um so I think that was a, a major reason why that version of the movie went wrong and just the story wasn't interesting Thankfully, the Snyder Cut didn't feel like a four-hour movie, even though it was, because when they announced that it was going to be four hours long, I really was dreading sitting through it, but it actually went by pretty quick. 
I will say that the Snyder Cut definitely restored the DCEU, aka the DC, you know, universe. And it definitely restored my interest. Like I said, I really would be interested in watching a cyborg movie. And I definitely have even more interest in watching the Flashpoint movie because that movie has gone through so many dramatic changes and writers and directors that I kind of pulled away from like being interested in the movie because I'm like this already sounds like a mess when you have so many changes like that behind the scenes and you have all that drama going on it unfortunately bleeds into the movie and the creative process and it affects it in negative ways we saw this happen with Justice League so I really was worried about the Flashpoint movie not turning out to be so good, but after watching the Justice League Snyder Cut version and um, watching the end credit scenes and even reading Snyder's plans for The Flash, I was like, I definitely am excited to watch Flashpoint again. Now, even though the Snyder Cut restored some of my interest, I still wasn't crazy about the story, even for the Snyder Cut version. I really became more interested in the plot towards the last two hours of the movie because I still think the story needs a lot of work and I still have questions that haven't been answered. For example, why is Lois Lane the key and why did Darkseid murder her? It made sense that he murdered Wonder Woman and and all those other characters, but Lois Lane being targeted didn't really make any sense. I mean, I know that she is Superman's soft spot, so I guess maybe that's why he targeted her because he knew that by killing Lois Lane, it would cause Superman to to lose his morals and his humanity. I don't know. I also don't understand why, and thank God that the Snyder Cut, some of the his ideas, not the Snyder Cut, but some of Snyder's ideas aren't going to make it to the actual film because his idea of having Batman get Lois Lane pregnant with his child and making that child the next Batman makes no sense at all. I don't know if this happens anywhere in the comics. It seems really out of character for both Lois Lane and Batman to do something like that even if Superman was dead at the time. So even though I'm not well versed in the comics, that does seem like a Snyder original idea and it's definitely not a good one. I don't think it would have been received well. That that plot idea makes no sense at all. But other than having some questions, I do think that the storylines that Snyder is toying with still do need some work. I think that um some of his ideas do have potential, but I do think that him and his team really need to sit with these ideas for a long time and just really flesh them out and give them a whole lot of detail and make sure that they're strong storylines. Before watching the Snyder Cut, I knew that they were going to use the Flash and Flashpoint to undo and fix a lot of the mistakes that have happened in the DC Universe and a lot of these movies. You know, over the past couple of years or so, the Justice League has seen a lot of cast shakeups with Ben Affleck no longer playing Batman, Um, Henry Cavill stepped away from playing Superman, there were a lot of changes, obviously Ray Fisher probably will no longer be playing Cyborg, so using the Flash and the idea of, okay, we have a character who can go back in time and, and, and fix things as he sees fit, we can use this idea and play with the multiverse and play with the idea of having alternate universes, like the Flash really is kind of like a fixer-upper character. Like, he can really fix a lot of the mistakes that were made in the DC 
EU and also a lot of the inconsistencies that have happened in these movies, you know, simply fixing, explaining, not really fixing, but explaining why Robert Pattinson is now playing Batman and Ben Affleck is, is no longer playing Batman because if Robert Pattinson's Batman is successful and I imagine he will be, I can't see them not utilizing his Batman in the DC universe with the Flash and Wonder Woman and so using the Flash is a good way for them to explain to the audience why this Batman looks different and also have it make sense. For those of you who don't know much about the Flashpoint Paradox, essentially it's a storyline in the Flash and I think it varies across comics and universes, but it's it mainly remains the same at its core. And so the Flashpoint Paradox is pretty much Barry, aka the Flash, he goes back in time and he undoes something, whether it's preventing his mother from being killed, preventing an event from happening. And once he does this, the timeline then diverges into a new timeline. So think of it as like a line that's drawn on a piece of paper. Once the Flash goes back in time and he undoes something, that then another line forms from the original line that's already been drawn. Each time he goes back in the past to fix or change something, new lines are drawn, and they essentially become their own alternate universes. Now, the problem with doing this is that once you go back in time to fix one thing, something else can go wrong, and it usually does. And it doesn't matter how many times Barry tries to go back in time and fix something that he screwed up, something, it'll never be the same. It's kind of like crinkling paper and trying to re-straighten it after the paper will never be straight again. And that's why um, there's this one rule for speedsters and the speed force, which is you don't go back in time, you don't fix anything, you keep everything the same. Because once you change one thing, you affect something else. And that one thing you're trying to fix, while you fix that issue, you may create a, a new problem, an even worse problem. And even in the Justice League movie, as he's going back in time, you hear Barry say, I'm about to break this one rule. Because he knows he's not supposed to go back in time. So clearly, what's going to happen in the Flashpoint paradox I'm assuming is because Batman is involved in that movie I'm assuming that whatever Batman was warned about happening in the future which seems to be a total takeover from Darkseid and Superman he's trying to prevent that from happening and he's going to do that by telling the Flash to go back in time and change things and I'm assuming that whatever the Flash tries to change he makes worse um but yeah so I'm looking forward to the Flash Point Paradox movie because I really enjoyed watching the storyline play out in the CW version of The Flash, which is the Arrowverse. They did a really, really good job with explaining the paradox and also just they created a really good story. I'm pretty sure they pulled that from the New 52, though. And so I really hope that the Flashpoint movie um, lives up to the show because they have tall shoes to fill for sure. I think that there's a possibility that some of Snyder's planned storylines that he had for the Justice League or even for Batman's movie could still play out in some ways using the Flash. I just explained how they could do it that way. They could also um, use Wonder Woman um, and Aquaman movie. Those movies, those solo movies were very successful. They already have plans for an Aquaman 2. They already green greenlit uh, a Wonder Woman 3. So I think that the storylines could finish or be tied up there as well. And I think there's also a small, and I say very small because Warner Brothers still is very firm in their decision at the moment, but Snyder, the Snyder Cup was very well received and is performing well on HBO Max. So 
money makes the world go round, this could, this could, keyword could, make the Warner Brothers change their mind. Realistically, there probably won't be a third Justice League movie, but like I said, they could find a way to to finish out some of these storyline ideas in the Wonder Woman movie and the Aquaman movie and the Flash. Obviously, they won't be able to really tell the story that they wanted to in Justice League because many of the actors playing those characters are no longer a part of the movies. Jared Leto is no longer playing the Joker. They did have plans to give him his own movie, but after Joe Quan Phoenix's Joker came out and it did so well, they decided not to go with Jared Leto's, which I think is a good idea. It didn't make sense to me to put out two Joker movies from two different actors because they're, even though Jared Leto's is Joker, Joker is very much a part of the DC universe. He made his way into the Justice League movie. Um, Joe Quan Phoenix's Joker seemed to be set apart in his own universe but now since that movie was so successful I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up in Robert Pattinson's Batman and and thus he becomes included in in the Snyder vision of the DC movies but um the Joker Jared Leto's Joker clearly had a I I won't say vital role but he clearly played a role in Snyder's vision for the storyline he had going on and Jared Leto is no longer the Joker so I really don't think we'll ever see the storyline that they introduced at the end of the Snyder Cut come to life, which is sad because it really did have potential. If they really sat with that story and really um, fleshed out the details, that could have been a really, really good movie. And it's kind of it, it, kind of frustrating and it's kind of sad because this is what I wanted. As someone who was more of a DC fan at the time than Marvel, I really wanted them to have g- great storylines like Marvel movies had. And it was disappointing and frustrating going to see Superman versus Batman, going to see Justice League, and not being fulfilled with the storylines. But this story had potential, so I am sad that it didn't work out between Snyder and Warner Brothers because this could have been something really dope. But there is a possibility, like I said, that some of these storylines could still play out in The Flash. Here's hoping. But to wrap up my thoughts on the Snyder Cut, whether it's Joss Whedon or Zack Snyder, DC's main problem with its movies is the storytelling. They're not choosing good storylines from the comics, which causes their movies to fall flat and have no real direction. But with some major fixing, DC can turn it around with some better uh, storylines and better movies. And, you know, I think that this upcoming Batman movie with Robert Pattinson will set the tone and the pace for the DC movies going forward. Moving on from the Snyder Cut, you know I had to talk about Sharon Osbourne being fired from the talk. I called it, but who didn't? She is, however, receiving a payout from between 5 to 10 million. I shouldn't even be surprised by that either, but I'm still disgusted because is this a real consequence for racist and toxic behavior if you're still going to pay her? I think CBS definitely needs to do better I'm pretty sure by law they were they probably were required to pay her something because then it would have turned into a wrongful termination lawsuit or whatever. But I do still think it's whack that she did what she did and she got fired technically, but she got this big payout, whatever. Um, but I do think that her image going forward has been tainted. I won't say it's been ruined because white people bounce back from this all the time, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, most recently we see that with Morgan Wallen, who's already back on the radio after he's been banned. So, um, 
white racist white people always bounce back and somehow manage to um find their footing in their career so i'm sure sharon osborne will probably find something to do now that she's off from the talk so moving on from that i wanted to jump right into the music because you know that's my favorite thing to talk about i'm gonna start off by talking about justin bieber i know i know again (laughs) but Peaches by Justin Bieber off of his newest album, Justice, is the number one song this week, along with his album being the number one album on the Billboard 200, making him the youngest artist to achieve eight number one albums. He's also one of only three artists to have a number one song and album debut at the same time. I think one of these records that he broke um, had him been broken since Elvis I think about 60 years ago so watching I mean not watching but looking and reading all of his stats and these records that he's breaking is just crazy especially since you know I've been a fan of his music his entire career I remember when he first started out so kind of even though I was there and watching it play out in real time it's still like crazy to to read his spreadsheet on billboard and see all of the the records he's broken and and all of his achievements He did release the deluxe version of Justice last Friday. I won't review the deluxe as well since I spent a lot of time reviewing the standard version of the album last week. And even though I really did enjoy all of the new songs, I gotta say that of course the deluxe version of this album wasn't necessarily needed, but of course it was released because you have to promote the album further and this is the way that labels um gain additional streams and sales is by pushing a deluxe version of the album but clearly um usually it's more so the case when the deluxe is released like months later it's kind of like oh let's put out the deluxe six months after the original to remind people to listen to the music um but for justin bieber he released his deluxe version like a week later so it it obviously was still released as additional promotion for the album but um i don't think he needed like to remind people to listen to the album. I think the album was gonna sell and stream well regardless. But speaking of the new songs from the deluxe, I really liked Wish You Would, Know No Better, and Name the Best. Wish You Would is a bop, and of course Pooh Bear co-wrote and co-produced the song. That's why it's so good. And it reminds me of the music they created for journals, which it makes sense. I was disappointed that Pooh Bear didn't have any parts on the original version of Justin's Justice album, so I'm glad he was at least a part of one song on the deluxe. This may have even been a song created in between changes in Justice before Justice became a fully formed album. Like I said before, I also liked No No Better, which features the baby. And I gotta ask, I wonder if it's bad that I don't mind the baby singing on No No Better? Because whoever produced his vocals made him sound pretty decent. I'm pretty sure he can't sing that well in real life. But on this song, they actually made his vocals sound pretty decent. The song name that features Tori Kelly sounded exactly how I thought a collab between the two of them would sound like, and I honestly wouldn't mind hearing more collabs from them, honestly. I am still listening to the original version of Justice quite often. Um, I think it'll end up aging well. I even saw Mal from the Joe Budden podcast. I saw him tweet, because, you know, with all the drama happening on that podcast, I was kind of on Joe's Twitter, I was on Mal's, I was on Rory's, and I saw Mal, of all people, like, kind of praising this Justice album, saying this is the most he's ever really liked a Justin Bieber album. He didn't expect to like it so much. So, um, and I've, I've been seeing a lot of people say that too, people who aren't, you know, 
big fans of Justin's just really liking this album. I think some people are dragging it by saying it's his off the wall or comparing it to like a Michael Jackson album. But I do think this album just showed that Justin Bieber hadn't hasn't completely fallen off. He's still capable of making good music in the 2020s. So like I said, I see this album um, aging really, really well. In five years, I'll probably be listening to Justice more than I was listening to Changes. And yeah, I'm just genuinely, I just genuinely find myself going back to that album. I haven't really sat with the new songs from the Deluxe a whole lot yet, but that's mostly just because I've been super busy. But I do plan on revisiting some of these songs, but I didn't want to give an in-depth review. I, I thought it was kind of pointless considering I gave you a review of the original version of the album last week. But yeah, this will probably be the last of my Bieber talk. I'm gonna give y'all a break. Moving on from Bieber, The Weeknd announced that he has a new song coming very soon. It's a song that will be released as an NFT. I'm still not, and I looked it up, I'm still not completely sure what an NFT is. I I believe it's like a cryptocurrency. And when he first announced this, he said, you know, he had a new song coming. He also said that it wasn't, um quite the end of the after hours chapter so when he tweeted all of that I was like okay well maybe you know this song will be on all streaming services but maybe like the money he receives from the song won't be traditional money maybe it'll be like bitcoin where it's like the currency of nft I, I didn't know what what how that was gonna work um but when he said that the, the that the chapter wasn't over I had this theory I was returning back to the to blue black the blue-black version of the After Hours theory, which was a theory created by his fans after The Weeknd had appeared in a blue and black suit. His character from the After Hours album consistently wears red, so when The Weeknd wore a blue suit and he wore a black suit in one of the music videos, fans were thinking, and I think at the time he was also teasing a lot of unreleased music, a lot of fans thought he was going to follow up After Hours with a kind of like a different character introducing a new character that wore blue or wore black so it was like oh we want the blue suit version we want the black suit version of after hours and since the weekend had said that the chapter wasn't quite finished i thought it would have been a really cool way for him to extend the after hours era by introducing a new character and kind of telling a different story because after hours is such a big album he he really and truly does not need to put out another album this year i'm going to i'm not going to be mad at it if he does but he doesn't really need to and i think that him creating a sister record for after hours would have been a really really cool idea especially once he starts his tour early next year that would have been a really cool idea and hey it may still be an idea but i do notice that the weekend fans are always so thirsty for music that they will create theories out of thin air and then push them on social media as if they're actually real. So at first, that's what I thought the weekend had planned to do, and that this song that he was dropping this week was just going to be like a filler in between the two albums. But today, he announced that um, the song would be dropping on Saturday, and how it works is the NFT is like he's pretty much creating like limited or exclusive content for them selling it to one person and um so the song that 
that's coming with whatever he's releasing. Because like I said, this whole thing is confusing to me. But whatever piece that he created, it's being released with music. And the one person who buys this piece also gets the, the song. So the song won't be available to the public. It'll just go to that one person. The song won't be available anywhere else. So as soon as I read that, I was kind of like, my excitement for this new song dwindled and fell because I'm like, well, if only one person is getting this song, then there's nothing to really be hyped or excited about. And I'm kind of mad that The weekend kind of hyped the song up to be something different. And obviously he's got to push this because he wants somebody to buy this piece, whatever. But I don't think that he should have like, I don't know, he shouldn't have teased it the way he did earlier in the week because he was teasing it like it would just be a song that would be available everywhere. But even though he's, even though that's the case for this, I still, the way he phrased some of his tweets makes it seem like we are still, we are going to get new music this year still and we're going to get a new album this year still, but this song is, and, and he said this is part one of his drops with NFT, so I have a feeling that these other drops will consist of songs that were probably created during the After Hours era that just didn't make the album which is why he said that the this chapter wasn't finished yet so he'll probably drop maybe two or three more parts of this nft thing before he starts you know putting out music from this new album but i do hope that whoever buys this song makes it available online because i think part of it is they own they own some of of the a percentage of the song as well so they can do whatever they see fit with the song. So I do hope they're kind enough to put it on YouTube so we can at least hear it. Nicki Minaj's old mixtapes may be hitting streaming services soon. A lot of artists seem to be doing this more and more lately. And I'm really excited. I think this just might be the beginning of her next album era rollout. And I won't be surprised if her documentary for HBO Max is coming out soon because I keep hearing more and more about this documentary as the days go by. People who are a part of HBO Max have been constantly teasing this docuseries saying they're excited for it to come out, that it's really, really good. And a lot of um, artists these days factor in their documentaries into their album rollouts which is a smart idea obviously because it's it helps you to generate hype for the album that's exactly what Demi Lovato is doing right now with her docuseries it's what Justin Bieber did last year with Seasons you know it gets the fans excited for new music especially if um there's a behind the scenes look at you recording your album recording new music you know for me I love watching what goes into making an album. I love watching the process. So, you know, documentaries are a good way to help generate hype for your album. And I think that's what Nicki Minaj intends to do. I think also putting out fan favorite mixtapes on streaming services is also a good way to generate hype for your fans as well. Um, so I really, my favorite Nicki mixtape is Playtime is Over. I like recently, a couple years ago, re like downloaded the tape I can't say re-downloaded because I used to listen to that mixtape on YouTube. I never actually had it in my iPod. But then one day I was just revisiting that mixtape and I'm like, man, I forgot how many good songs were on here. And so I just re-downloaded it. And so once this drops on streaming services, I'm obviously going to get rid of the version I have on my phone and just stream it on Spotify and stuff like that. I think, you know, for a lot of people, even though we've heard this music before, once you you put a mixtape on streaming services, it allows you to kind of revisit the music because I don't revisit certain old mixtapes that I love from top to bottom like that. I may listen to a song or two here and there, but then when you put it out on a streaming service, 
it's kind of like listening to a new album all over again for the first time. So I think that's why people always get so excited when their favorite mixtapes are finally available on streaming services, especially as we kind of move away from buying music to just strictly streaming. Like I bought music for about a good 10 years (laughs) of my life before streaming services really took off. And now i don't buy music anymore and sometimes because I'm always listening to Spotify I do forget that I have iTunes music and I'm like oh yeah I haven't listened to this Ariana Grande album in a minute because I forgot that I have it bought because I'm always on Spotify so um I think that when you put mixtapes on streaming services as well it allows like your fans to have all of their music in one place rather than oh let me I I only have this I only have the first Detroit mixtape from Big Sean on my iTunes library so I have to let me go listen let me go into my iTunes library just to listen to this one song and then go back to my Spotify to listen to other stuff so it'll it's nice to have all of that music in one place and I can't wait to to stream playtime is over on Spotify I'm not gonna lie Moving on from Nicki Minaj, Big Sean teased that he's dropping a new song very soon. It could be for a Detroit 2 Deluxe, but I more so think it's going to be for a completely new project. I know he teased the idea of um, dropping a Deluxe version of Detroit 2, but I think at this point, Detroit 2 came out in September. We're now almost in April. If the Deluxe version was going to come out, it would have already came out. I kind of think that this is a whole new album that he's working on, especially since he said he wanted to do a whole album with Hit Boy Beats. So I kind of think that's where he is right now because every time he posts something from the studio, he's with Hit Boy. Um, and because he said very soon, I'm assuming that he means very soon. I know there's like this running joke with artists that when they say they're dropping music soon, soon to them means in six months. But I actually do believe that he's actually going to drop something within a couple of weeks. And I'm excited. You know, as a Big Sean fan, we really struggled before Detroit 2. It had been three years since he had dropped solo music. So I just think he's in a space where he had been gone from a, for a, a long time. And so now he's just back. He's hungrier than ever. And he just wants to put out a whole bunch of music. And I'm here for it. This is how the old Big Sean used to operate. He used to drop a lot of music. The longest you'd really have to wait was maybe two years. But from, I want to say from 20... 15 to 2017 he dropped every year it was either a solo project or it was the project with Janae so um or the one with Metro Boomin so he always kind of dropped music which is why going through that drought was so odd and even the way he handled Detroit 2 and being at super secretive and and take and taking a really long time to even put something out that's just that wasn't the norm for him So this is like him kind of getting back to himself with constantly releasing music. And I can't wait to hear whatever he's got. Travis Garland is also teasing that he's in album mode and dropping new music soon. But much like Normani, we've heard this before. I'll believe him once we actually get an album date because Travis Garland is good for releasing one or two singles and then going completely ghost before releasing more new singles. At this point, I just want... full project from him whether it's an album or a mixtape he's been sitting on so much music he dropped his debut album in 2013 we are now in 2021 his last mixtape was in 2015 so it's been a really really long time in my first episode of 2021 I already named who needed to drop desperately this year and Travis Garland is among the many who really do need to drop this year so I'm hoping that we don't leave 2021 without an album from him Demi Lovato released her lead single from her upcoming album that's dropping on April 2nd. The song is called Dancing with the Devil. 
And this song is a return to true form for Demi. Um, for those of you who don't know, Demi Lovato, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you know, but for those of you who don't, um, Demi Lovato suffered from an overdose in 2018 and she nearly died from it. And this song is a ref- uh, is her reflecting back to that time and talking about how close she was to dying because she was dancing with the devil, aka doing drugs and, and, and doing things that she wasn't supposed to be doing. And this song is just one of the many examples of what makes Demi so great. She always knows how to put her heart on her sleeve and her music, and this song is no different. She's bearing her soul, and listening to the song gives me chills every time. And, you know, that's what a lot of my favorite music from Demi sounds like. That's what it gives me. Um, Her voice sounds amazing. You can tell she's singing from her heart, and that's what gives the song real soul and vulnerability. She's not screaming or trying to overdo it. She gives the song exactly what it needs. This is also the type of production I like hearing Demi sing on. You know, this uh, song has pop production, but it has elements of R&B, jazz, and soul. She's done this before on songs like Mr. Hughes, and um, she just kills it every time. Like, I I really want her to put out, like, an album full of songs in this vein. Dancing with the Devil doesn't sound like anything that's out right now. It's just a really good song, and I feel like it's the right way to lead into this new album. And I'm definitely hoping this song is an indicator of what the rest of this album will sound like. And if it is, then this album is going to be really good. This song also sounds like a confessional to me and plays on the theme of the title. Like when I listen to the song, I just imagine her sitting um, and confessing her sins and and trying to, you know, leave that chapter of her life behind and and start somewhere new and, and healthier. It's well-written, honest, and raw, and by the looks of the first two episodes of her documentary, she's really going there, so she might as well go there musically too. My favorite lines in this song is, quote, I was dancing with the devil, out of control, almost made it to heaven, it was closer than you know, playing with the enemy, gambling with my soul, it's so hard to say no when you're dancing with the devil. Like, when you really hear her, this is the hook of the song, and I, and I just got chills just reading the, the, the lyrics. When you really hear her sing it, though, you really, like I said, you really hear her pain and her honesty of saying, like, you know, this was really bad. Like, even for me, I didn't realize how bad it was. Like, I remember reading the TMZ articles of saying, you know, Demi Lovato just overdosed. She may not make it. Like, I knew that she could have died, but when you... When you hear the song and you and you watch her documentary, you realize just how bad it was. Like, she was not supposed to make it. If they had, she said if they had, um, if her assistant had found her about five to ten minutes later than she actually did find her, that she wouldn't be here. So I think that hearing her sing these lines is kind of like a, it gives you like a moment of like, really, I, I don't know what to, how to describe it. It just gives you a moment of going like, this is some real shit. Like, she really isn't supposed to be here right now. Like, she... Like, she is on her, like, ninth life. Like, she really, Demi has really gone through a lot, and I feel like this album is going to reflect a lot of that pain because she's even admitting things in her documentary that she hasn't admitted before. But I do think that this song is a a smart lead single to go with because it kind of gives the listener, if you haven't been watching her documentary, if you haven't been following Demi over the past couple of years, it really gives you a place to start on a lot of the themes and the topics that the album is going to go over. But I will say that I have more faith in this upcoming album based off of this song. I do hope the album follows through, though. Moving on from Demi, Russ also released a new song called Bankrupt. 
Russ can be very diverse in his music. He can give you bars, the melodic stuff, or just full out sing on ballad type of records and pull it off. Bankrupt is more melodic with R&B production. And I honestly love this song for the same reason I love Hard For Me. The production is dope and Russ is saying things in the music I feel or relate to. If Russ did an album in the in the same vein of Bankrupt or Hard For Me, I'd rock with it. And I feel like a lot of people would, even if you're not huge fans of Russ. Because a couple of years ago, I wasn't a huge fan of this guy either. I thought he was corny. I didn't get the hype. But um, Shake the Snow Globe really changed my opinion on him. And, and he really is a diverse artist. Like, if you, if you could get past his cockiness, I really do recommend listening to some of his music. Um, I would say some of his, like, recent music because I really wasn't crazy about a lot of his earlier works. But, um, yeah, he's really, really dope. He's probably, not probably, definitely releasing some, some kind of project or album this year because he's been releasing a shit ton of singles. Like, it's ridiculous. He drops every week. My favorite lines off of Bankrupt are, quote, Left a long time ago, but now I really think that it's time to go. I don't feel the same love. My heart is bankrupt. And I I love this song, y'all. I really do recommend you listening to it if you haven't heard it yet. So, while I'm discussing the new releases of last Friday, you know I have to talk about Lil Nas X and his controversy and his new song. So, he released his lead single, which is called Montero, aka Call Me By Your Name, off of his debut album, Montero, that's dropping sometime this summer. Despite the controversy surrounding the music video, the actual song itself is pretty good and a lot better than both Holiday and Old Town Road because it's more honest. He's actually telling you a story instead of giving you mindless lyrics and a good beat to dance to. This song is about his 14-year-old self living in the dark about his sexuality and feeling like a sinner, and the music video plays on this heavily because he already feels persecuted and he's been told that he's going to hell because he's gay so he places himself there in the video and plays up on it even more he that you know Lil Nas X is an artist that thrives on shock value and that's essentially what this music video is but if you actually do watch the music video you can kind of you get the, what I'm what I'm saying what I described to you what I got from the music video anybody who watches the music video if you kind of try to ignore the shock value of him giving Satan a, a lap dance and killing him in the end you can really kind of see the story that he's telling there um this song also talks about the darkness of hollywood and fame too but um i did want to talk a little bit more about the controversy um i was not a fan of the satan shoes i'm gonna be honest um i'm not the most religious person i am more of like i always say i'm more of a uh, spiritual person like you know i believe in god i have my own set of morals and, and things like that i don't like any um i don't like anything that kind of glorifies the devil or anything like that to me it just seems demonic it, you know um that's just my personal opinion so i wasn't a fan of the satan shoes i can understand why those received backlash i think putting blood in the shoes is just unsanitary it's disgusting But what I have a problem with is a lot of the people coming at him for, oh, you're not being a proper role model. First of all, Lil Nas X never came into the game saying that he wanted to be a role model. You guys put him in that category like you often do with other artists. Nobody really asked to be a role model. And being a role model is very hard because you're expected to be this perfect person because you have all these kids looking up to you. And these celebrities are not perfect. And so, and when you when you give someone the role model title, you have unrealistic expectations for them. 
I grew up in the what we call the golden era of Disney Channel, the Hannah Montanas, the That's So Ravens, you know, that that era. And I remember when the Hannah Montana movie came out in 2010 and she received all this backlash, Miley Cyrus, because in the beginning of the movie, she didn't have her seatbelt on in the limo. First of all, it's a movie, people. The car prop most likely wasn't really moving, okay? And for her to receive backlash of she's not a good role model because she didn't wear a fucking seatbelt for like a minute scene is ridiculous to me. My parents always raised me with, if you, if you have an idol in some of these celebrities, that's your own prerogative. But at the end of the day, we're, as your parents, we're teaching you these morals to follow by because these people aren't perfect. So growing up, I idolized people like Beyonce, of course. But if Beyonce did a particular thing, if I saw a Beyonce music video and she wasn't wearing her seatbelt in the car, that didn't mean that I wasn't going to wear my seatbelt in the car. You know what I mean? And also coming at him for, oh, this video, my kids saw this video when it's wrong. Why are your kids having access to this video? Little Nas X is not the parent. He's not raising y'all children. You monitor what your children watch. So if your child had access to this music video, this very adult music video with adult lyrics, that's on you, that's your fault. Technology has become so advanced that there's no way your child should be viewing things without you knowing that they're viewing them. There are ways to protect these kids from watching certain content they're not supposed to. They have YouTube kids for a reason. They have parental locks for a reason. Back when I was my sister's age, maybe even a little younger, I had a TV with the parental lock on it. I could not turn to certain channels without having access to a code that only my parents had. When I was on YouTube, my parents always monitored me to see what I was watching. Always. Look through my history, everything. My sister, who's young, she's a kid, on her phone, my parents can see any little thing she does. She cannot download an app without my parents' approval. They literally have to go in and approve the app. So there is no excuse for your kids stumbling across a little Nas X video. It's just not possible. So if they did stumble across it and they did watch it, that's on you. Why aren't you monitoring your kids? Because again, little Nas X is not the parent. That is not his obligation. He has no obligation to make kid-friendly music. And to throw Old Town Road in his face is laughable because you clearly did not listen to the lyrics of that song. There are lines in Old Town Road where he says he has lean in his bladder. Lean is a drug. <laughs> And there's sexual innuendos across that entire song. And y'all was letting y'all kids listen to it. Y'all was letting them sing it. You was rocking with it. I'm pretty sure if you listen, and I'm sure a kid's bop version of that song exists, it was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 for 16 weeks. It was a hit. So I'm sure kid's bop covered the song. And I'm pretty sure if you listen to the kid's bop version, they changed some of those lyrics because they were too adult. So Little Nas X was never this innocent kid-friendly artist that you made him out to be. Sure, kids love that song, but it's not like he directed that song towards them. It's not like he geared it towards them. So it's not fair when you place the blame on Lil Nas X, you place the blame on an artist because Billie Eilish, when she released that, it was a, kind of like a demonic music video. She caught heat for that. Um, I'm pretty sure I could go down the list of several artists catching heat for things. And at the end of the day, this is how they express themselves. You can agree with it, you cannot, but let's not use the kids as, as an excuse because I do think part of it is an excuse. You don't like the song. For whatever reason, you don't like the music video. That's your own prerogative. I'm not going to make assumptions for why you don't like it. I'm pretty sure I could conclude why. 
but don't use your kids as an excuse. Just keep it real. You don't like Lil Nas X. You don't like the song. You have a problem with the music video. That's fine, but we can't use these kids as an excuse because as the parent, you should be monitoring them and seeing what they watch because my mom would never. I didn't start listening to explicit music until I was about 16. All of my music that my dad bought for me that they put into my iPod was clean, cleaner than clean. So much so that there are songs that I heard today as an adult that I didn't realize that that's how the song went because I was so used to hearing the clean version for so long. So there's no excuse. So I don't think that that's a valid, um, that's not a valid excuse to use against him for this music video. And also on the one hand, this song is now projected to go at number one next week. Why? Because you guys keep talking about it. And that's one thing I never understood. When I don't like something, whether it's music, a video, an artist, I don't talk about it. There are plenty of artists I do not like. I do not waste my time on social media or behind this mic ripping them apart because it just gives them more attention. If I sat behind this mic and I ripped that music video apart the way everybody has been doing so, it's going to cause a listener to be like, hmm, I haven't watched the music video yet, but it's getting all this backlash. Let me go watch it. Which adds to his streams, which makes the song more popular which is going to equate to him getting a number one, because I believe that. I I'm lo- I looked at the numbers. He's most likely going to get the number one. Because y'all don't know how to not like something and leave it alone. I don't like Doja Cat. I don't go checking for her music. I don't go watching her music videos. For what? I don't like her. I know that. So I'm not going to bother subjecting myself to any of her content. If you don't like Little Nas X, if you don't like what you've heard about this music video, simply don't watch, simply don't talk about it. It is what it is. But if you keep it up, he's going to get what he wants because Little Nas X is a shock value artist. That's what he does. He did it on Old Town Road. He's a He was a former barb. So he had stand accounts where he was trolling. He's good at this. He knows what to do. When you've been a stand account for years, you know how to operate on social media. So you're just giving him what he wants. If you don't like him, leave him be. Don't talk about it. But it's a shame that this controversy is overshadowing the song because the song is good. Like I said, it's it's better than Old Town Road and it's better than um, Holiday. Um, So I guess if the song goes number one, he can quiet the chatter of being a one-hit wonder. Not that... I mean, he he hasn't had a song as big as Old Town Road yet, but Panini did kind of gain popularity. So he's capable of, um, of, of probably making other songs that are successful because I think he has himself a little fan base. Um, but yeah, this song most likely will go number one. And for all of the people who hate him, you're to blame. <laughs> not that I care. I don't I don't care whether this song goes number one or not. I, I'm, I'm not the one with the problem. But for those of you who do have a problem with Lil Nas X and this music video, congratulations, you helped it most likely go number one. But all in all, um, I am going to be listening to his Montero album because I want to see how he's how he's progressed as an artist since his 7 EP because his 7 EP was very lackluster. It, it wasn't that great. But I'm not going to hold it against him because it was an EP. I said it back then and I'm saying it again now. Um, I think he's had a lot of time to... to to grow a little bit before putting out a debut album so Montero is going to be where I judge him if this album is not good then I don't see him putting out quality music after that I'm probably going to feel the same way about any project he puts out after but he is a new artist and I think it's fair to judge a new artist off of their debut album it's called a debut for a reason so we'll see what this Montero album is giving 
Now, I did want to talk a little bit about Grey's Anatomy, which has been so good this season. And I think a part of it is because they're gearing towards the end of this show, whether it's this season or this next season. It's Grey's Anatomy is definitely ending. And they have, like I said, they've been on it this season. They've been getting it right after so long of sitting through these really boring and dry seasons. We finally have a good storyline, which is Meredith, you know, suffering from COVID-19 complications and essentially being in a coma. And so what we have is this beach storyline where people from the past, her past, who have passed on, are now coming back to visit her on this beach. And this beach is essentially like an like an in-between place between life and, and, and heaven. And so it's been really great seeing old characters that we loved who died come back. And for this week's episode, technically tomorrow, they they showed the trailer and in the trailer, Lexi Gray, aka Meredith's sister, is back as the next beach guest, which has been um, something that fans have been really, really pushing for. And it makes sense. You know, they were sisters, they were close, and her death really affected Meredith. Like, it hit Meredith hard, obviously. And um, so a lot of fans have been like, well, if we're bringing George back and we're bringing Derek back, we have to bring Lexi back. It's, it's so important. And... I wasn't sure if Chyler Lay would do it, but I'm so happy that she is doing it. I don't know if this was always the plan of bringing her back or if fan hype kind of gave the writers the idea like, hmm, we should bring her back, which to me is a no-brainer. If you're going to introduce this type of storyline where Meredith's, you know, dead loved ones are coming back to visit her, you have to bring Lexi Gray back. It just wouldn't be right. And I am curious to see how that conversation is going to be between them, what they talk about, um... I already know in the trailer, Lexi asks her, well, are you staying? Um, Because at this point, we don't know if Meredith is going to succumb to her complications and, and, and die or if she's going to come back. I do think that whether they end it this season or next, they kind of have to kill her off. And, and I'm, for me, I always said that Grey's Anatomy can't end any other way than with Meredith dying. She is the focal point of the show. It's why Shonda always said the show would go on until Ellen Pompeo no longer wants to do it. It's called Grey's Anatomy for a reason. If the show ends, Meredith has to end. And so I think that there's no way to really pull off dragging this into another season. I do think that they should end it with this season and and kill Meredith off. Meredith, wow, that's not her name. Kill Meredith off now rather than drag it on to next season and having the audience kind of hold their breath and wait for is she gonna die now is she gonna die here because you don't also don't want the storyline to get old but I am really looking forward to this episode tomorrow like I said I want to know what Lexi and Meredith talk about I also think that this may be a turning point for Meredith's progress um having Lexi come back and and the comfort of, of being near her sister. I think Derek is already a huge factor in Meredith wanting to stay. But depending on how this conversation goes in this episode, Lexi may be like the the final her the final reason for her just indefinitely not wanting to wake up. So I do think this episode will probably ascent, be essential into Meredith's progress. But moving on from Grace Anatomy, you know, you know I have to talk about Jen Shaw from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City being arrested for money laundering and she could face up to 30 years in prison. I just read today, like an hour ago, that apparently she was in the middle of filming for Real Housewives 
when she was arrested and I'm all for the drama because that's going to make this next season good. The next season was going to be good regardless because she got arrested but the fact that she was filming the upcoming season when she was arrested I really do hope they caught it on camera and to be honest I was shocked reading this and I was shocked more so that she got arrested for such a serious charge. I'm not shocked that she's capable of doing something like this. I remember a few months ago when the reunion for Real Housewives was airing, a video of her yelling and, and verbally abusing her staff leaked on online. And if you watch the show, Jen is not a good person. You can conclude that just from watching the show. She's horrible to the women on that show, um, especially to Mary. And so it's not surprising that this happened because this, apparently she was like committing fraud against like old people, you know? And so that's even more awful. Like you're taking advantage from, you're taking advantage of older people who don't know any better. So I think someone like Jen Shaw, based off of what I've seen on Real Housewives, is definitely capable of something like this. Um, from what I've read, her husband, Coach Shaw, has nothing to do with any of these crimes. The people are arrested in connection to this were Jen Shaw and her assistant. Um, I'm pretty sure more information will come out as the days go by, and, and I'll, I'll probably talk about it in future episodes. But I just know that Real Housewives of Salt Lake City just got even better next season. So speaking of committing fraud against old people, I actually watched a movie a couple of days ago that had like the same plot, kind of. So it's a movie called I Care A Lot, which stars Rosamund Pike from Gone Girl, Aiza Gonzalez, I think that's how you pronounce her name, Peter Dinklage, who you may know from Game of Thrones, and Diane Wiest, I think that's how you pronounce her name. And so a little bit about the movie. I, I will give a spoiler alert right now because um, I will be talking about how the movie ends. So if you do have plans to see this movie, or to, I mean not to see this movie, to watch it on Netflix, you should probably skip forward because I don't want to spoil anything for you. So pretty much the movie centers around Marla, Frankie, Roman, Jennifer Peterson, and Feldstrom. So this movie is about the main character Marla working with like um, old folks homes to scam old people out of their money. So essentially Marla will go to the director of the old people's home, figure out which one of the old Old people are vulnerable, meaning they have a lot of money, they have no living family members that can kind of like prevent Marla from stealing their money. And so the director of the old folks home will pass on the information and also they'll, the director of the old folks home will tell the judge, oh, this person has, you know, this mental illness, they can't care for themselves, so they need to be put, um under the care of a caretaker and Marla is that caretaker but what she does is she takes full control of their life sells all of their belongings makes money off of that and saves that money for herself and her girlfriend Frankie so she's pretty much been running this this scam for years so that's a little bit of a background on the movie I'm not always great with giving summaries um <laughs> of movies without like telling every little thing that happened but that's pretty much a summary of the movie so you can kind of get an idea about the plot um what I like the most about this movie is how it comes full circle the movie starts out with the character Feldstrom um whose mom is being taken advantage of Marla he's being carried out of the caretaker facility by security after trying to see his mom um 
And so pretty much he finds out that Marla is scamming his mother and she's preventing him. Once he came to that realization, she begins preventing him from seeing his mother. Um, and so he tries to see her anyway and he gets hauled out by the security. And so they go to court. The judge finds that Marla is in the right and that um, she had reasons for preventing Feltrum from seeing his mother. So he loses the case. He meets her outside of the courtroom after. He's angry, very angry, and he is extremely aggressive towards Marla and threatens her life. And at the end of the movie, he ends up taking her life. So it's kind of like the movie comes full circle. He's threatening her in the beginning, saying, you know, I'm going to kill you, blah, 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 blah. Marla's not taking it seriously. Um, And then at the end of the movie, his mother dies. He didn't get to be by her side, so he kills her. And for so long, Marla got away with her crimes, and finally karma kind of came to its head and, and got her in the end when she was least expecting it, especially from a man she didn't take seriously in the beginning of the movie. So the movie does kind of have a lot of full circle moments like that. Um, I also like how there are no real winners in this movie and no good guys either. Um, like I said, karma comes for each of the characters in the end in some kind of way. For um, Marla, she ends up dying. For Frankie, her girlfriend, it's she has to watch Marla die in her arms after committing these horrible crimes. For Roman, um, he ends up in the hospital after being drugged, kind of doing what he does to other people. Like in a lot of ways, these characters who are com- who are doing horrible things because they're horrible people, they kind of get what's coming to them in the end. And so like when you watch a movie, you kind of like, oh, I want this person to win. Because in the beginning while watching this movie, I was like, well, I kind of want Roman to win even though he's a bad guy too because his mother is being taken advantage of and he just desperately wants to get his mother back and Marla's kind of being a bitch and not letting, you know, the woman go. She's torturing her. She's selling all of her belongings, stealing her money. So I really wanted um, Roman to kind of get the upper hand but then as I'm watching this movie, I'm like, you know what? There are no real winners here. They're all going to lose some kind of way and that's the point. And I think it's realistic to have bad people like have these these bad these characters that are horrible people with no redemption or remorse for the horrible things that they're doing because that's real life sometimes there are plenty of people who do horrible things that they don't really feel bad about doing them that's just how some people are in the world and so sometimes it's more realistic to have movies where it's like okay here are a group of bad people and one is not worse than the other and neither of them are going to get the upper hand for long The movie did go on longer than it really needed to at times, more so in the middle of the movie with the constant cat and mouse game. Um, So a lot of the fat from the middle part of the movie could have been cut, in my opinion. And some parts of of the movie were just corny and and unrealistic. Um, But overall, the movie was pretty good. I think I gave it like a 7 out of 10 rating. And I mainly watched this movie for Rosamund Pike because I loved... I loved her role in Gone Girl. Her character was an awful human being, but Rosamund Pike did her damn thing in that movie. And so as soon as I saw she was in this, I'm like, I have to watch that. And obviously she was the standout of this movie as well. And if it's two things she'll give an audience, it's a stellar monologue and a great voiceover. There were quite a few plot twists and turnarounds, but the movie ended the way I thought it should have, which was in... Marla's death. I don't think that you can kind of do what her character was doing for a long um, and not get on people's bad sides. 
and end up dead. So it, it definitely ended the way it should have. I do think I have this theory and I haven't read much of what other people think about this movie. So I don't know if this is a popular theory, but I do think that Roman kind of gave up too easily. He ended up making a deal with Marla to be partners and create their own caretaking company and take advantage of multiple old people. Um, instead of kind of fighting each other, they wanted to come together and form their own thing because they both have certain skill sets that were going to make them successful together. But I do think that someone like Roman, who is very egotistical, who probably doesn't like being, who doesn't like having, losing the upper hand, that's, that's a good way to say it. I do think that he set her up. I do think he got in contact with Feldstrom, the guy from the beginning of the movie. I think he Obviously, she's a, she was a public figure by the end of the movie, so it was very easy to see where she was going to be. He could have found that out on his own. But I do think, I have a theory that he set up Marla to get killed because she drugged him and kind of forced his hand. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if if um, that's a popular theory going around because that definitely crossed my mind. Like, What if Roman told Feldstrom exactly where Marla was going to be, gave him the gun, told him to kill her, all those things, because it probably wasn't hard because, like I said, the man's mother died and he didn't get to be around her at all because Marla was keeping him from her. So it's very possible that he just acted off of his own anger, but I do think it's a cool theory to think about. All in all, though, this was, like I said, a pretty good movie. I definitely watched it again, and I definitely recommend it to friends and family to watch, too. So if you have Netflix and you want to watch a movie you haven't seen on there yet, I definitely recommend I Care A Lot. So before the episode ends, I wanted to quickly talk about Ariana Grande being the new host of The Voice for next year's season. She will be replacing Nick Jonas. I'm pretty sure Nick Jonas has some acting obligations, like some movies that he's doing that... Um, he has to fulfill, so that's most likely why he's leaving. And I don't see Ariana Grande staying on The Voice super long either. I give her like two seasons. But I was kind of shocked. I was not expecting, when she said she wanted a change of pace, I didn't expect um, her being a host on The Voice. And while I definitely think she's qualified, the woman produces her own vocals and comps her own vocals. She's definitely qualified. She's got an amazing voice. Um, the woman has been on Broadway, so, you know, don't get me wrong here, but I don't think that she ha- I don't think that she's a good fit, because I think she's too afraid of hurting people's feelings, like, she's very sensitive, and she'll say sorry to fans that are being- that are in the wrong, like, she'll say sorry to fans on social media when they're the ones being assholes to her, like, she- she will say sorry over any little thing, and I feel like she would feel so bad giving a harsh critique- to a contestant or for not turning around for a certain contestant. Like, I feel like she'd feel really bad. And I don't think that's a good quality to have as a host. I think on these singing shows, you kind of have to be firm and a little harsh when it comes to this type of thing. Um, so while she's qualified, I just don't think that she's a right fit. And I have not watched a competition show since Dancing with the Stars. I kind of fell off of them. I haven't watched this singing competition show since American Idol. I think the last one I watched was the one where... Um, Adam Lambert was in the final two against Chris Allen. So I love Ariana Grande, but I probably still won't watch The Voice. I'll probably watch a couple of clips on Twitter or on YouTube to kind of get an idea of how she's doing as the host. But I'm most likely not going to watch the show. I, 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 think, I, I think that 
when she said she wanted a change of pace, I imagine maybe some acting or maybe some downtime with her family and, and her loved ones. I, I didn't imagine her being a host, but she's getting that bag. I heard she's the most paid, um, host ever with 20 to 25 million. So, um, that's not, I'm sure that's not a bad thing at all for her. That that's a pretty easy decision. Like, Oh, I never thought about being a host, but if you're going to give me 20 to 25 million, I will definitely sit behind that chair. Um, but yeah, I guess I'll, I'll look on Twitter and see how other people are feeling her as a a host on the voice. I think that season that she's going to be on will air in September. Um, I kind of think they maybe tape these shows in advance. Because they did, kind of, I think this upcoming season hasn't been on that long before they announced the Ariana Grande season. So I kind of get the feeling that they're pre-taped. But yeah, um, I just had to get my thoughts off on, on that. Because I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. I don't know about, you know, Ariana as a host. But that's not me being a hater. It's just, I think it's a, it's a valid point. I made some valid points. Before the episode ends, I have to get into the song of the week. And the song of the week for this episode is Rain by SWV. It's a song that I've had on replay for like the past month. Um, and I think that in light of Versus announcing that Escape and SWV would be going against each other, that it is a perfect song to choose for the song of the week and make this the official last um, song of the week for International Women's Month last episode. I thought that would have been the last one. I forgot that um, there was another... There was another Wednesday in March. So technically, this is the last song of the week for International Women's uh, Month. And it's a really good song. SWV is just one of those essential R&B groups in the, in, in the sense that you hear a lot of artists today that get their influence from them in their vocals, their vocal production, even just the, the production that they're singing on, like the beats that they're singing on, um, you just hear a lot of SWV's influence and they're just amazing singers. They've, um, I'm not going to act like I'm like a huge, huge fan of them. Like my mom loves them. So I'm, I don't know a whole, whole lot about them or, or stuff or in-depth stuff about them, but I do know good music when I hear it. And SWV has put out a lot of important songs for the genre. And so Rain is just one of them. You hear songs like Rain and just SWV, period. You hear a lot of their stuff sampled in Summer Walker's music and a lot of the current R&B artists. So if you don't know anything about SWV, I guarantee you've heard a song sampled in some of your favorite current artists' music because there was a period of time where every time I'd look up the sample, it was from SWV. So I know they're getting a bag from that. But Rain is one of my favorite songs. I think it's second um, with... um, Week being the first one. that That's my shit. But Rain, I've been listening to a whole lot lately. So I'm like, you know what? This is this got to be the song of the week. So there you have it. I'm not going to tell you to listen to the song because I, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you listening right now have heard the song before. It's a pretty popular record. But if you haven't heard it in a while, this can be your excuse to listen to it again. have come towards the end of the episode and like i say every week thank you so much for listening to me rant and ramble for over an hour i appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode then please give me a five star rating on apple Podcasts or anywhere you can rate podcasts and if you want to keep up with this podcast further then definitely visit my website www.listentomespeak.com there's links to all my social medias i'm on youtube twitter facebook instagram the whole nine 
So again, if you want to follow me on social media and, and keep up with me that way, you can head to my website, www.listentomespeak.com. And any updates about this podcast will you can find through there. And if you want to help me elevate this podcast to the next level, then please donate to my listener donations, which can be found on my anchor page or my website. And like I say every week, be kind to yourselves and thank you for listening to me speak.